Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be here and to be able to bring God's word to you today. Um, I'll read the correct scripture. Um, Rachel read the wrong one. But um, uh, it's so many things have been happening in this church. It's good to see uh, you guys um, uh, really uh, seeking God faithfully uh, in your lives. And as a previous pastor of this church, I'm happy seeing how uh, a lot of you have, have matured in, in Christ. And I pray uh, that the church would continue to grow uh, as the Lord would uh, bring um, the right person to uh, help us, all of us, uh, grow and seek Him more in our, in our lives. Now, this morning we are uh, starting a, a new uh, series, um, which is in First um, John. And, um, of course, uh, the leaders of this church have um, uh, given it a thought on what really uh, the church needs, what we need as we, as we move forward. And if you would um, remember, um, one of the deacons, um, I think it was Terence, who shared with us uh, the church uh, vision. So does anyone of you here remember the church vision? Anyone? Oh, Terence, you should smack everyone. <laughs> but as always, this is a very shy church. No one would, would speak up. But I know deep in your hearts, you know what the, uh, the vision of your, of your church is. And I pray that as we begin uh, this series, we would be able to live a transformed life uh, with genuine love for, for his people. And uh, let me just uh, ask everyone to just uh, bow down uh, your heads and let's pray together and ask God for his, for his blessings. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we um, just thank you for today. Uh, thank you that you have uh, brought each and every one of us to be here, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth, O oh God. Thank you. Um, for people that you have raised up to be leaders in this church. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their um, just unwavering uh, love for you, Father, because you have loved them first, uh, that they continue to uh, serve your people. I pray that as we look at this uh, uh, series in First John, you would um, help us to, uh, not just to be hearers of thy word, O oh God, but we would be doers of it. And um, I ask that um, you will be with me this morning. Just take away the fear, O oh Lord, and just give me boldness, uh, give me courage uh, to bring forth your message uh, with power and conviction, uh, with faithfulness. I pray that words uh, is not from me, but it's from you, Father, as the Holy Spirit helps me to encourage and edify thy people. Thank you so much, O oh God. Uh, all these things we ask, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Amen. Now, let me just read to you 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It says here, That which uh, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, that our hands have touched, uh, have touched, our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our our joy complete may the lord bless the reading of his most holy and sacred word now i believe all of us when we were young we have heard the phrase once upon a time and remember how exciting those words used to be. As kids, they opened the door into an exciting world of make-believe, right? Probably at times we forget our problems as kids, if we have. But then we turned to a corner one day. And this once upon a time phrase, it just became kids tough. You discover that life is actually a battleground. And I'm pretty sure all of you have experienced it. Life is a battleground. It's not a playground. It's not fairy stories. And those fairy stories that we heard when we were young were no longer sustaining. We need something real. But I'm pretty sure also, brothers and sisters in Christ, that the search for something real is not new, actually. It has been going on since the beginning of history. Just look at life outside, and you will see clearly that men have looked for reality and satisfaction in wealth, in thrills, in conquest, in power, in learning, even in religion. Now, don't get me wrong, church. There may be nothing really wrong with these experiences, but by themselves, they never truly satisfy. No matter how you strive hard, there's always a vacuum in our hearts that will always search for something real. Now, I don't know if you agree with me, but wanting something real and finding something real are two different things. And most of, the uh, most of the time, it's just what we want, right? And we're not finding the real, the real thing. It's just like a, a child eating cotton candy at a show, right? Many people who expect to bite it into something real will end up with mouthful of nothing. It's just like that. They waste priceless years on empty substitutes for reality. And so that people would not waste their years, the Apostle John wrote this letter. And he wrote it to you and to me. It's a letter of life, light, and love. Now, though this letter has been written centuries ago, 
Its theme, finding life that is real, is forever up to date. Because as I have said, you and I, we're always in search for something, for something real. And what I've seen here is just John had discovered that satisfying reality is not to be found in things. It's not to be found in thrills, but in a person who is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is a message of encouragement and reassurance that Jesus Christ is real and that He gives real life, abundant life, satisfying life to, to those who follow Him. Now, let's jump straight here to Scripture. Now, without wasting any time, John immediately jumps into his experience with, with, with God's living reality. Now, if you take notice, church, in the first paragraph of his letter, John's witness springs from the page. It's deep convictions that I could see here. Deep convictions undiminished by the passings of, passing of the years. It came out from his pen as the aged apostle writes about the coming of Jesus into the world. And as scholars have said, the first four verses represents just one sentence in the original Greek. And with John fervently repeating the tangible ex physical experiences that he had. Physical experiences that he and his friends have had of hearing, of seeing, of touching the very life of God himself. The incarnate Jesus. In fact, that's the heading of, 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 some of, your, of some of your Bibles there. And this life is not wishful thinking, church. This is not passing hearsay or even a profound spiritual experience alone. This is real. And this life is rooted in a flesh and blood human being. And you could read John chapter 1, verse, verse 14. And this life is what his readers must grasp. This is what John desires. And this life is what we must grasp if we too would have real life. For our faith is not just a story. It's based on real events. Events that are seen. Events that are heard by real people. It's about a real person. It's about the one true God. Now look at verse 1 there. In verse 1, the writer asserts his credentials as, as an original eyewitness to the truth about God's Son. Then how? Through continued direct contact with Him. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the Word of Life. Now take notice, church, without any formal greeting, unlike 2nd and 3rd John, this unspecified letter, not naming the, the writer or the recipient, it was intended for mass distribution. 
In fact, if you would look, look at uh, the other writings of J John, this one here, it has no personal, personalizing features in its conclusion either. It simply begins with a relative pronoun translated what? And this pronoun references or introduces five things, object clauses concerning Jesus. First, look at here, he was from the beginning. The emphasis is on the eternal nature of, of Christ. The verb was means he was already in existence. Christ was already in existence. Jesus was already in existence when the beginning or creation occurred. I want us to understand this very clearly. There was never a time when Jesus was not in existence. Now the second reference or objective clause here is what the apostles and others who had opportunity to know the incarnate Christ had heard. They heard the divine thoughts of God spoken by human voice. Those who had ears to hear heard the voice and the message of God. They listened to his parables. They listened to his moral teachings, his anointed prayers. They listened to his rebukes. They listened to his encouragements, his blessings. They heard the word of God. Now I tell you this, if you have not heard him, you do not know him, nor you can speak of him. That's why we are encouraged to grow in the word. And Alex just shared about the Bible, about the Bible study that is coming in this church. We can never speak of him if we've never heard of him. In the first series that we have here, what the, the leaders have given me is the word of life being in the word. And which is very, very important for us, church. Now, the third thought reference here, it's referenced by what is, what the eyes have seen. Jesus was not a ghost or phantom. He was flesh and blood, visible as any human. Then scripture clearly tells us his followers intently contemplating it, they gazed at him and at what he did. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, the, the people that followed him, they saw him raise the dead, give sight to the blind, heal the leper, cause the lame to walk. What else? He, he set the, free the demonized, he cleansed the deceased. Jesus had restored the fallen. In fact, he, he, he fed the multitudes. And those people have seen it. What they have seen. The fourth reference is concerning what they beheld or grasped. To behold or look upon means to give attention to. To reflect on. It, thus, it means to mentally assimilate what they perceived with their senses, they contemplated upon until God gave them understanding of Jesus' distinctive significance. You see, John 
had come to understand the meaning of real life, the abundant life, satisfying life, through his long and intimate walk with Jesus. Long and intimate association with Christ. Now, at first, John would probably not really understand what Jesus, what Jesus did when he shared his life with believers. But I would say, but as his relationship with Jesus grew, he beheld or understood the reality of the abundant life in Christ. And my question is, are you growing in your relationship with Jesus that you are understanding him? And what he is doing is better and better in your life, in your church, day by day. And the fifth reference here is to what their hands handled. As scripture says, the followers of Jesus touched him physically, and they were also physically touched by him. They touched him not only during his ministry, but after his resurrection from the dead. And Jesus, with that alone, we know Jesus was real. Physical, a flesh and blood man. His touch was the healing, fortifying, cleansing touch of God. And I would say he still touches people. He still offers to all who will reach out and grasp him. And my encouragement today to all of you, touch him in faith. His abundant life that heals, his abundant life that cleanses, that fortifies. Then, of course, church scripture says that God has revealed himself in creation, right? Romans chapter 1, verse, verse 20. And we see a lot of beautiful creation of Christ. But creation alone could never tell us the story of God's love. Nor the overarching story of God's dealings with this world. God has also revealed himself much more fully in his word. The Bible. And as I've said... That's why we are encouraged. You see, is the word of life. Being in the word is what the church leader wants us to be in, to grow. As I've said, let me repeat it, church. God has also revealed himself much more fully in his word, the Bible. But I would also say this, but God's final and most complete revelation is in His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 9 says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. Because Jesus is God's revelation of Himself. He has a very special and significant name, the word of life. And that's what scripture tells us, 1 John 1.1. You see here, John's gospel opens the same title. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. 
And we could also think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. This message is from the beginning because it is of God. It precedes creation. It precedes time and history. But in God, the message of life also draws near to humanity and finds its fullest revelation in Jesus. Now, why does, you may probably ask the question, why does Jesus Christ have this name, the Word of Life? I asked that question preparing this message, and the only thing I can think of is because Christ to us is what our words are to others. Our words reveal to others just what we think and how we feel. Christ reveals to us the mind and the heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and men. And scripture tells us clearly that to know Jesus Christ is to know God. To know Jesus is to know life. And he imparts this life. He imparts his life to all who trusts in him. And as, as you study scripture, as you read the gospel records of the life of Jesus, you see the wonderful kind of life God wants us to enjoy as his people. You see, church, this life does not come through intellectual understanding or even by imitating Jesus, our example. There is a far better way which is the life which the apostle proclaimed here, proclaimed is intensely personal. Verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that we too may have the life of Christ, which is life eternal. And this life was manifested, and we have seen, bear witness, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You see, the writer, the Apostle John here, had a long-term personal experience with, with Jesus Christ. And from what he has shared, John knew Christ Jesus face to face. And the other disciples had heard Jesus speak. We read in Scripture, they watched him and he lived with them. That's what scripture says. They, in fact, studied him carefully, touched his body. They knew Jesus was real, God in human flesh. But I strongly believe, church, it was not the apostles' physical nearness to Jesus that changed them. It was this life, the spiritual presence or life of Jesus is what changed them. It was receiving this life that saved them. And I think it's the same thing with us. It's not just the physical nearness to church. It's not just what, as what we say, physical nearness to Jesus. It's the life of Jesus that will change us if we receive him. Because that's what changed the Apostle John. 
They knew him for who he is, Lord and Savior, and they had committed their lives to him. You see, church, Jesus Christ was real and exciting to John and his colleagues because they had trusted him and experienced his, his life. By trusting Christ, the life of Christ became manifested in their lives. The word manifest means to bring to light or to make known what already exists. Jesus made God visible or tangible. Since God is life, Jesus also revealed the reality about life and about God. Spiritual, eternal, abundant life is manifested in Jesus Christ. Life in Christ is real. It's not false. It is eternal. Not temporary. Not only is life real in Jesus Christ, but his life is experienced by individuals when they place their trust in him as Savior. To have Jesus is to have life, real life, eternal life. Which leads me to ask the question, have you accepted the proclamation of eternal life offered to you by the Father in Christ Jesus? Is the energizing, motivating life of Christ unfolding in the various activities of your life? You see, this life was manifested in Christ and in his disciples. God desires to manifest the life of Christ in your daily life also. Something for us to ponder. Is the life of Christ being displayed in your life? Which is really living a transformed life, genuinely loving his, his people. Now, verse 3 and 4 here, finding fellowship and, and, and joy. Now, verse 3 speaks of fellowship found by trusting Christ. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Once you have experienced this exciting life that is real, you will want to share it with other people also. You'll never want to share something that's not real. But if you really experience this real life, there's the desire that you would share it. Now, a lot of people, many people, church, including, I would say, including some Christians, have the idea that witnessing means wrangling over differences in, in religious belief. 
That's what they think of, of, of sharing. Sitting down, comparing churches. But that isn't what John had in mind, as I would, I would see it. He tells us that witnessing means sharing our spiritual experiences with life and Jesus with others. We witness both by the lives that we live and by the words that we speak. You see, the reason proclaim Jesus is so that others can fellowship with God and we can have through fellowship with them. For once we know Jesus, we have relationship with Him and with His forever family. You see, that personal relationship, it opens the door for fellowship. And that's why we're, we're here. The word fellowship is an important vocab of the Christian. It literally means we, to, have some, to have in common, to have something in common. All that share a common faith or mutual relationship with Jesus as Lord can fellowship in His Spirit with each other. That's the reason you fellowship. That's the reason you did, you did camp, what you did there. You enjoyed the fellowship with one another. You see, as, as sinners, men have nothing in common with the Holy God. They have nothing in common with the Holy God. But God, in His grace, came to earth so that He would have something in common with men. Scripture clearly tells us Christ took on Himself a human body, became a man. Then He went to the cross, took upon Himself the sins of the world. We know the story. Because He paid the price for our sins, the way is open for God to forgive us. And take us into his, into his family. When you and I trust Christ, we become partakers of the divine nature. And the term partakers in, in Peter's epistle is from the same Greek root that is translated fellowship in 1 John chapter 1. And what a thrilling miracle is that, church. Jesus Christ took on himself the nature of man that by faith we may receive the very nature of God. That we experience the fellowship with the Father and with his forever family. Now there was a story of a British man leaving Liverpool by ship. Now he noticed that other passengers were, wa were waving to friends on the dock. Now probably a lot of you have never taken a boat and waving for, to people in, in the dock. I have experienced it. Right. He noticed that people were waving to, to friends on the dock. He rushed down. He went down and stopped a little boy. And he told the little boy, would you wave to me? I give you money. Right. And of course, the boy agreed. This man from Liverpool rushed back on board, leaned over the rail of the ship, glad for someone to wave to. 
And sure enough, the boy was waving back at him. A foolish story, perhaps. But it reminds us that man hates loneliness. And all of us want to be wanted. If you say, I can be lonely, I can be myself, you're lying. All of us have an inner longing for a place of belonging, for a place where community or fellowship touches us. If you look around, some people don't look look for it at church. They go outside and look for it. And I'm sure you agree with me. Everyone is seeking for it. You go to your sports or whatever other things that you do to find that belonging for a place of community. You see, the life that is real helps solve the basic problem of separation, of loneliness, for Christians to have genuine fellowship with God and with one another. You see, Jesus promised all of us, Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. You see, in his letter, John explains the secret of fellowship with God and with other Christians. This is the first purpose John mentions for writing his letter. The sharing of his experience of eternal life. The sharing of how he came to have personal fellowship with God himself. Verse 4 tells us what the sharing of Jesus and the fellowship we have in him leads to, and it leads to joy. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And the readers are invited into a relationship of joy with John's brothers and sisters in the Lord. You see, God, through John, is writing these life-changing words to us so that we too may experience fullness of joy. This fullness of joy is far too rare in Christians, but its offer is sure. It is recorded, it is a recorded promise of God. You see, in two days after the April 27, 1996 ceasefire in Lebanon, many of you have not been born, a, a TV interviewer asked Israel's prime minister how the new agreement differed from one a few years earlier. And this was his reply. This one is in writing, whereas the former one was verbal over the phone. Print has a different value. Spoken words can be forgotten, or they can be changed when they are repeated. Written words, though, aren't dependent on memory, and they can be easily ignored or changed. Thus, God gave His Word to us in writing. 
Why? So that we would study it, meditate on it, apply it in our lives. He did not want our relationship to him be based on hearsay. But in the reality of his written word. Fellowship around the written word is Christ's answer to the loneliness of life. Joy is his answer to the emptiness of life. You see, church, joy is not something that we manufacture ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God. In fact, David knew the joy which John mentions for he wrote in Psalms 16 verse 11. In thy presence, there is fullness of joy. You see, basically, sin is the cause of unhappiness that overwhelms our world today. You see, sin promises joy, but it always produces sorrow. The pleasure of sin is temporary. They're only for a season. God's joyful pleasures last eternally. They're everlasting. As someone has said, you see, the humor of the Christian is not a way of denying the tears, but rather a way of affirming something that is deeper than our tears. We're full of joy, not because we don't face all these things in, in the world, but because there's a deeper reality than the temporary separation from a loved one, the problem with a car, or a bankruptcy of a business, losing a job, difficulties in finances, none of these things need to rob us of joy because we know there's a much bigger picture. Now, in conclusion, let me ask you this question. What about you? Are you experiencing fellowship, real relationship with Jesus and his followers? Are you experiencing joy deep down in the core of your being? I would even say that bubbles out into your hearts, into your eyes, into your disposition, into your words. If not, reflect upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling myself that as I, I read scripture. So of course, as I've said, we're not faking anything. We face troubles in this world. And it's not because of that. That our joy is, is just temporary also. That we know that these things are just temporary. There's real joy in Christ. That's why, what about you, church? And just an encouragement or a challenge for those of us who are Christians here. 
You see, a counterfeit Christian, it's hard to say, but they are common. It's something like a, a fake or a counterfeit $100 bill. Let me put it this way. Suppose you have a counterfeit $100 bill, and you think it's actually genuine. You use it to pay for a tank of petrol, the gas station worker, the manager uses it to buy supplies for him, the supplier uses the $100 bill to, to pay the grocer, and the next person bundles up the bill with other $100 bills and takes it to the bank. And the teller says, I'm sorry, but this one is counterfeit. This one is fake. That $100 bill may have done a lot of good while it was in circulation. But when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed for what it really was. And it was taken out of circulation. A challenge, so it is with a counterfeit Christian. He may do many good things in this life, but when he faces the final judgment, he will be rejected. And scripture says in Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out demons. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. A scary reality. But that's a challenge that I'm putting across to each and every one of us. Each of us must honestly ask ourselves, am I a true child of God or am I a counterfeit Christian? Have I been born, truly been born again? Do I have a real relationship with God through His Holy Spirit? When, when, I was, uh, when one of your deacons messaged me about the message for today, it's sort of a, an evangelical message to encourage some of you who don't have Christ yet to experience that relationship. Accept that offer that God is giving through His, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian... What I have said is also not just something to, to, to scare us, but for us to ponder upon. Right? Because what the church desires is for us to really live a transformed life. And genuine love for, for his people here. May I ask the worship team to please come up. Again, I would repeat this church. If you have not experienced eternal life, this real life, you can experience it right now. 
maybe in your hearts where you are as the worship team sings, the worship songs. Just silently in your heart. You can, you can come forward to Christ. Raise your hand to Christ. Make your decision to follow Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of another church visiting here, and I, I, I believe that this church would really desire for those of you who are here who are Christians, that all of us here, here will, will, will unite with our fellowship, with what we have in common. Experience the life that God shares with His faithful. And may the Lord bless each and every one of us. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for this church again. Father, I thank you for what you have done in your people here. Lord, you know each and every one of us. You know what's in our hearts. I pray that, Lord, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, Christians, Father, we reflect upon your word today. And that, Father, each and every one of us who are Christians will not just be hearers, but we're doers of thy word. For those who still have questions, who still have doubts, Lord, I pray that this day be the day of salvation, O oh God. The Holy Spirit will move and convict our hearts, just like how the Holy Spirit moved and convicted our hearts many years back. And I pray, O oh Lord, that Father, this church will, will be a blessing to people outside, Father. People who are lonely. People who are finding real joy. People who are looking for real fellowship, Father. And thank you for Jesus Christ. And thank you, God, for your love for us. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue our worship by singing of Jesus' grace for us, how he came down to 